but today is week one of Same God, and um, our anchor verse for this series is Malachi 3.6, and it's just this bold statement that God makes. He says, I am the Lord, and I do not change. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Change. I don't know about you, but I am extremely grateful that we serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't serve a God that theology changes around him. He changes his mind on things. He is the same God back then as he is today, and so that's what this series is about. The God that we read about in the Old Testament and New Testament is the exact same God today. The God that did miracles in the lives of individuals and did miracles and healings and people got to witness these amazing things of God. He's still the same God and we can go to that God. And so this series is about encountering the same God as all of these biblical heroes and these stories that we read about in the Bible did back then. Now, let me ask you this question. How many of you guys have ever been on a trip or have had a plan where that plan went wrong, went bad, and something that was outside of your control took over, and you found yourself in the middle of this plan, and there's no way to move forward because it's out of your control. I, I know there are some people in here that might struggle with some control issues. You can point at your spouse if you need to, but how many of you have ever found yourself at a dead end in one of your plans, out of your control? Well, those of you that traveled around Christmas time, especially on Southwest, like my family, um, you encountered some situations. And we had our Christmas Eve services here. The next morning, um, it's our tradition, we go to my parents' house and open up, bit, open up gifts, and then we go straight to the airport and have an early afternoon flight out to um, Kentucky to visit Mandy's parents. That's what we've done since we've been married. And so this year was no different. We'd go to the airport. We had seen all the trouble that people had been in the days leading up to Christmas Eve, and I was like, surely, Surely not us. There's no way it's gonna happen to us. All the craziness is over. We get to the airport and immediately find out that our flight, we were flying into Nashville to, to drive to Kentucky and our flight, our first leg of our flight was canceled. Luckily, I was walking right by the desk when the announcement came, so I jumped in the front of the line and they found six, we have six people in our family, they found six tickets, the last six seats, out of Albuquerque on that day on Southwest. And we flew to Phoenix, and there was supposedly a flight from Phoenix to Nashville, so we fly to Phoenix, and that flight to Nashville from there was still good when we took off. It was still good when I got Wi-Fi on the plane and checked it. We land, we walk right up to a monitor, and sure enough, lo and behold, flight to Nashville canceled. It's Christmas Day, people. I mean, this is like, this is bad news. So I immediately jump on um, customer service because I don't like waiting in lines. I, ugh, I have an issue. And so I jumped on customer service, got a hold of somebody, a great lady. We looked into, from Phoenix, we looked at 14 different cities around where Mandy's parents live that were within a 10-hour drive trying to get somewhere on that side of the country and all 14 cities, the all flights to that side of the country were canceled, except for one, for the time being, was to St. Louis, which is a 10-hour drive to where Mandy's parents live. But remember, our luggage is going to Nashville, no matter what. It was a great trip, guys. It was a great trip. I'll tell you the rest of the story later. But, so finally, we were like, okay, St. Louis. We get to that gate, and then it's delayed. It's del How many of you guys were flying around that time? Anybody? Especially Southwest? We can all go to therapy together. It's gonna be great. So we... 
finally, we get to this gate, and it's like St. Louis, but people start leaving the gate because they're hearing that something's gonna be canceled, and I can see the delay, delay, delay. Then the Southwest person is like, this, it's looking like this is gonna be canceled too. And so I'm wrapping my mind around sitting down with our four kids saying, guys, um, how, how, I mean, how do you tell your kids we're not going to your grandparents' house for Christmas, and we're actually having to rent a car, if they have one, and drive back all night tonight back to Albuquerque. So I'm getting ready to do this, and then I hear over the intercom, okay, because all the flights were full. There were some flights going out, but they were full. And so I hear over the intercom, we were in Terminal D, I'll never forget it, and this voice over the intercom says, last call, flight to Nashville, because that's where we needed to go, flight to Nashville, and C gate whatever, last call, Whatever, they, they C7 or something like that. And so I look at Mandy and I'm like, Mandy, what if, what if God has ordained? You know, I don't know. It's like, what if? And I said, you wanna just, you wanna just sprint? I mean, I'm already at my wits end anyways. I'm, I mean, you just wanna sprint over there and see? So we home aloneed it all the way <laughs> to the C terminal and we are running full speed. I mean, I'm looking back and I'm like, I, even if we got three of the four kids, I'm good. I mean, we're running. <laughs> And you know, we, we finally get to the gate. There's this long line at the counter, and I'm like, nope, not doing it. I ran all the way to the door. There's a gate agent. Everybody's boarded. There's a gate agent. They're about to close the door. There's this long line at the desk. And I looked at this lady. I told her the whole story very quickly. I was like, she's like, I don't even understand what you're saying. And I said, we need to get to Nashville. That's where our luggage is going. All the flights were canceled. We're stranded. Please, it's Christmas Day. And she's like, sir, I mean, I, I said, do you have any seats? And she said, we do, but it's too late. I can't do this here. There's a line over there. And right when she said that, our eight-year-old daughter, Aslan, just burst into tears, audibly crying. And the lady looks down at her and she went, Okay, okay. I was like, good job, Azzy, good job, okay. So the lady calls the desk in front of all these people, calls the desk and says, I need six boarding passes, gives us our names, and we're standing there like, hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, and then they bring the boarding passes over, and right before we walk in, I look back at the desk, and I was like, suckers, you know, and then I, I did not do that. I'm a pastor, people. Okay, so we get on the flight, and it was, we, we made it, but then our luggage wasn't there, it was the whole, it was the whole thing, but, the whole thing is this, I walk up to that gate and there's this lady, because it's always a human, like when you're doing customer service stuff, it's all, there's always a person. They always say there's a policy, the policy doesn't allow, but let me be honest, there's always a person behind the policy. Get to the person. So there's a person, and I, the, our entire trip was in, in this lady's hands. The entire, there was nothing else I could do. I have the personality where I will do every last thing I can humanly possibly do, but nothing else could be done. Our entire trip was in this lady's hands. Have you ever been in one of those scenarios? Luckily, we got on. But all through the Bible, there are stories where the people of God find themselves in situations where the next step, the next obstacle, the next thing in front of them was an impossible situation, and it was completely in God's hands. And they're saying, God, we're at the end of everything we can do. Now, God, you have to step in and be God in our situation. And the story we're gonna look at today is exactly that. And it's from Exodus chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And we're gonna look at the story of Moses and the Israelites and the Red Sea. Uh, many of us are familiar with this story, or at least some of it. The Israelites were in slavery, captivity in Egypt um, for a very long time. Moses was raised up by God as a deliverer of the Israelites, the, the children of God, and um, finally Pharaoh, through, all, through the 10 plagues, finally decides to let the people of God go, and about two, most scholars and theologians believe it might have been close to two million people get up 
and leave Egypt and they're on this journey. They're being guided by um, a pillar of clouds and fire by night and they're being guided. I mean, all these miraculous things are happening, but you know the story. They eventually find themselves in a narrow passage with mountains on either side and now there's a red sea in front of them. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you're like, I'm following God. Yes, like doors are opening, doors are opening. And all of a sudden you come up to this other situation and you go, God, what are you doing? Have you ever been in one of those situations? That's exactly where the Israelites found themselves. And we're gonna look at this today. And I've got three points and we're gonna look at three different trials, but we're also going to look at, because we know this, in every trial, there's also the truth about the trial. So today, the title of my message is Finding the Truth in the Trial, because I know so many of you today going into this new year, you're optimistic, but at the same time, there's some very real situations that are happening and trials in front of you. So number one is this. The first trial we're going to look at is the Red Sea in front of them. It's the obvious one. It's the big one. The Red Sea in front of them. I want to read Exodus 14, 1 through 4. It says this. God spoke to Moses, so that means this is God's leading, right? Tell the Israelites to turn around and make camp at Pi Haharoth between Migdal and the sea. Camp on the shore of the sea opposite Baal Zephon. Uh, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are lost. They're confused. The wilderness has closed in on them. That was the idea. So God says, this is exactly where I want to camp. And I read this passage to you without keeping reading to tell you this. It was God that brought the Israelites to the dead end at the Red Sea. It was God who brought them there. It was his idea to bring them out of Egypt. The path, the direction was his idea. And then now the Red Sea is in front of them. And these are human beings, just like many of us. We have Red Sea situations in front of us. And we're saying, God, where are you? This is where, after everything we've done, After all of these commitments, this is where you brought us. After all of that effort you went through to bring us out of there, this is where you've brought us. The Red Sea represents what stood between them and the promise of God on their lives because the promised land was on the other side of that Red Sea in the wilderness. There was a promise that God had given Abraham, one of their forefathers, the promised land, and there's a promise that God has given us. The promise, the destiny, the purpose that he has for us, the things God has spoken to us in our lives, and the Red Sea is what stands between us and what we thought God promised us. What's your Red Sea? I know many people today, our Red Sea is our sickness or a diagnosis of for ourselves or a loved one. It could be financial uncertainty, anxiety, a struggling marriage, loneliness, uncertainty about the future. It could be so many different things, and I don't want to underplay this because I know there are many, many, many people in, in this room today where you would say the Red Sea in front of you right now is keeping you up at night. It's bringing anxiety. It's bringing a heaviness on your life, and you're saying and asking many of these same questions. God, where are you? What's happening? Why did you do this? Why did you bring us here? And we need God to step in and do what only God can do. But one of the most fascinating, sobering, yet encouraging parts of this story, like I mentioned, is that it was God who brought them to the edge of the sea. It was God. When God brought them to the edge of this obstacle with no apparent solution, 
It didn't mean God was really good. I mean, they, I mean, one day before this, they were like, God is the best God. He is good. He has brought us out of slavery. Look at these miracles that he's doing. They would have all said, he is a good God until they came up to the Red Sea. Then they would have said, how could a good and loving God allow this? Just like all of us, right? So we would be questioning the nature of God. They were questioning the nature of God. But the truth is, if he was the good God who rescued them out of Egypt, then he's still the same good God that brought them to the edge of an apparent obstacle and trial. He was showing the Israelites and showing us that nothing in this world happens outside of his rulership. He rules over every trial, over every tribulation, he rules over every Red Sea in our lives. God is the sovereign God over them. God may not be causing the thing that is causing evil in your life, but he's still sovereign over it, which means one thing. Eventually, that Red Sea will have to part or bow down to the will of God because he rules over it all. But we have a Red Sea in front of us. It's real. I'm not trying to tell you find the good in the bad thing because sometimes things are just bad. The sea is real, it's bad, but God is good and he is just as real. Red sea situations in our lives, if we allow them, can cause us to lean into God. The other day I was watching a movie with our family and our, our eight-year-old daughter was sitting next to me and um, there was a jumpy part of the movie and her initial reaction, every time there's something, you know, something scares her or whatever, if I'm near her, there's this gonna be this automatic knee-jerk reaction to lean into me. I mean, something scares her, she goes, you know, like, they're, like, like I'm gonna do something if a robber comes in her house. I'm gonna be like, ah, Jesus, you know, like I don't know, right? But she'll lean into me because she's thinking, my dad, you know, I, I want to lean into the one who can protect me. Because trying situations, things that scare us, things that bring anxiety, cause us to look to a power that is greater than the power that threatens us. And there is a power greater than the power that threatens us, and that power is God. And if we'll allow this season to cause us to lean into God, growth will be the outcome. It will be the outcome. The sea will part. It may not look exactly like we thought because every Israelite there was looking for a way around the ocean. None of them were expecting a path through it. God may do something, but it may not look exactly like we thought. So that's the trial, the Red Sea in front of them and the Red Sea in front of us. But what's the truth in the trial? The truth is this. When we see obstacles, God sees opportunities. When we see obstacles, God sees opportunities opportunities. What do I mean? Exodus 14, 15 through 18 says, tell the Israelites to move forward toward the sea. This is God speaking to Moses. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites may go through the middle of the sea on dry land. As for me, hear this, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will go in the sea after them and I will be glorified and honored through Pharaoh and all his army and his war chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know without any doubt that I am the Lord. So one of the opportunities that God is, is explicitly telling Moses is that his name would be glorified among the enemies of Israel. But if his name is being glorified among the enemy of Israel, that every enemy of Israel would know that's the real God. All the gods we've been worshiping over here in Egypt, 
all of them have had to surrender over and over and over again to this God. So God's saying, Egypt's gonna know, but the byproduct of the enemy of the people of God knowing is that the people of God will know even more at a deeper level. So what God is saying to Moses and saying to us is the miracle he's about to do and wants to do in our lives, the miracles that he's done in our past with our past Red Sea events in our lives, the last five times throughout our lifetime where we've come up to a Red Sea and we thought that was gonna be the trial that was gonna take us under, that was gonna be the one that would end us somehow God brought us through, right? It's a miracle and it's a testimony not only to the people of God, but even the people, people that aren't of God around us. So God's saying, if the Egyptians know, then my people should really know. He wanted it to be something that would impact them, their heart, their mind, their soul, and that they would carry this moment with them for generations to come. And it worked. There are 31 verses explicitly after this story chronologically, after this story, that explicitly talk about and celebrate, in the writings of scripture, celebrate this event. This was a mile marker event. This was a crossroads event. This was something that shifted the entire nation of Israel forever, and that all through Israel's history, every time they would come up against an impossible situation, the writers of the Psalms, there were prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, apostles and writers that would refer back to this day and say, if God did it then, he can do it now. And it's the same way with us. Red Sea events in our lives, as daunting and as dark as they are right now, they do have to submit to God. And they can be a testimony of his greatness and his glory in the future. There will be a day in your future that you look back on this time and say, God brought us through. If he did it then, he can do it now and he can do it in the future. Do you agree with that today? I love the author, uh, A.W. Tozer. He's one of my favorite um, theological authors, Christian authors. And he said this. To the child of God, there is no such thing as an accident. Accidents may indeed appear to befall him and misfortune stalk his way, but these evils will be so in appearance only and will seem evils only because we cannot read the secret script of God's hidden providence. There is what we can see, and then there's the script that God is writing that we cannot see in the present, but we will be able to read in the future. There's always the script of God's providence holding this in his hands. We may ask why right now, and honestly, in this lifetime, there are certain circumstances we may never know why in this life, but we do know that God is good. He's holding the circumstance in his hand, and there is a script of his goodness and his holiness being written, whether or not we ever end up seeing it in our life. God uses trials as an opportunity for us to see things from a different perspective so he can be glorified and so we can be reshaped. I believe that Red Sea situations in our lives are an opportunity for God to do a new thing on the outside of us, but also a new thing on the inside of us. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, and if you're looking for a theme verse, a vision verse for 2023, I think this could be a great one. Isaiah 43, 19. Watch for the new thing I am going to do. It is happening already. You can see it now. I will make a road through the wilderness 
and give you streams of water there. God's saying, I am the one who can do something new, make a way where there is no way. He is the one, the only one that reigns over our circumstances. So the challenge is to lean in and not run away from. The second trial in this story is also an obvious one. The second trial is the Egyptian army behind them. The Egyptian army behind them. So they come up to the Red Sea, mountains on either side, and then Pharaoh changes his mind. He didn't like the 10 plagues at all, but then he's looking at now these vast, empty housing complexes and where these slaves lived. He's thinking about how he was waited on hand and foot, thinking about all the building projects they had gotten done, and then watching two million of these people walk away that made all of these things happen Now he's thinking, I want these people back, so they go on the move. Exodus 14, eight through 12 says this, after they're approaching the Israelites, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites as they were leaving confidently and defiantly. The Egyptians chased them with all the horses, with all of them, think about how big this is, with all the horses and war chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, the Israelites, as they camped by the sea. So now, now, you're an Israelite, it's God who led you out of Egypt, and yeah, you were grateful yesterday, you were grateful, but now that gratefulness is starting to fade because you see a Red Sea in front of you, an impossible situation, mountains on either side, now, now, The Egyptian, if the Red Sea doesn't make you drown, now the Egyptians are coming to either kill you or take you back into slavery. But what do the Egyptians represent in this story? They perfectly represent one thing, our past. The sin, the lure, the temptation, the pull of the sin of our past, but also the guilt of our past. They represent the slavery and bondage that we were all in before we met Christ. I'll go into it more depth in a, in a minute, but this story is a perfect picture of what happens with, when a believer comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in this story, Egypt represents the past coming after the Israelites. Because this is something very real that happens in the life of most, if not all, Christians at some point. And most often it happens to new believers within the first six months to a year of fully devoting your life to Jesus. Because that first six months to a year is like the first six months to a year of marriage. It's like the honeymoon phase. It's the baby Christian phase where everything's great. Everything's great. I love baby Christians. Because baby Christians, they're coming to church like, what do you need? Where do you need me to serve? I mean, they're worshiping big. Why? Because they're new to the faith but they haven't had the big trial Red Sea moment come yet where they're having to really solidify in their hearts that God is still good even in the midst of something bad, right? And so now, now, the Israelites, they're in that phase. They're coming out of Egypt. They're excited, but now the Red Sea, they're coming to this critical moment, but they're looking over their shoulders and their past is coming after them. Their past is coming. You look into the daunting Red Sea, our Red Sea in our lives. You look at at it into the future, the Egyptians closing in on you, and then we begin to entertain some thoughts if we're not careful. What are some of those thoughts? Their thoughts were, my life had to have been better in Egypt than what it is right now in the desert. 
I felt at least comfortable and familiar with my old life than I do in this so-called freedom with restriction. And then many of us today might think things like in this scenario, I'm not fitting in at church anymore like I used to or I thought I would at this point. I haven't found my, my friend group like I thought I would. Maybe I should just take care of that loneliness back with the people in my old life. Being in a relationship with the wrong person is at least better than being alone with my thoughts because yes, I'm single and I, I broke up with a person that I needed to in order to fully devote my life to, with, to Christ, but now I'm in this horrible situation. It's impossible. Let me just tell you something, when, especially when it comes to relationships that you had to move on from, that were not willing to go with you on a new journey with God. Let me tell you something. That relationship will always come back knocking when you're facing a Red Sea. That's when you're gonna get the text. That's when you're gonna get the DM. That's when you're gonna bump into them at the store. That's when you're gonna hear your friend tell a story about how they saw them with a new person. Whatever it might be, the pull from Egypt will hit every single time, every single time when a Red Sea is in front of you, every single time. And here comes Egypt. And in many of our lives, we're going through that season right now where we can feel the army from our past closing in on us and we can start to feel this pull it doesn't make logical sense that I would want to go back to slavery, but could that be better than the impossible situation in front of me? That's the trial, but the truth is this. The truth is God will stand between us and the enemy. God will stand between us and the enemy closing in. Exodus 14, 19 through 20 says this. The angel of the Lord, who had been going in front of the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud moved from in front and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. It was a cloud along with darkness, even by day to the Egyptians, but it gave light to the night to the Israelites. So one army did not come near the other all night long. This is also a perfect image of God's promise in our lives because the enemy only has a certain amount of power. The pull from our past only has a certain amount of power and that power is only given by us. The enemy does have some power, but the power to pull you back only comes from our, our choice to turn back. That's it. We give the enemy power if we're not careful. Exodus 14, 14 says, the Lord will fight for you while you only need to keep silent and remain calm. The Lord will fight for you. Now, when we read this story, I kind of look at it from a perspective. If, you're not, if we're not careful, we'll look at these stories in the Bible. And I don't know if, about you, but have, have you ever looked at some of these things where people were doubting God? And you're like, how could you possibly doubt God with what you're looking at? And just look at these people sometimes and go, I feel like they're dumb, to be honest. That's kind of how I feel about the Israelites. When I first read this story at face value, you go, you, you just saw the 10 plagues that we watched in the Prince of Egypt <laughs> and all of those things. And there's an angel of the Lord that went from the front to the back. There's a, a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire that you're watching move from the front to the back. And now you're, you're freaking out. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. 
But then, then, if we went back in time, though, and really put ourselves in their position, and we were to interview one of them, press pause on the story, jump in and interview one of them, or feel the situation ourselves, it would feel no different, and what they would say would be no different than what you would say or what I would say when we face our Red Sea right now. Because they would look at our lives and say, the blessing that you live in, the miracle of where you live and what you have access to, what you guys see and what you have available to you, how in the world could you ever doubt God with how you live? And we're looking at them going, how could you doubt God? You were slaves yesterday and now you're free. But when we put ourselves in the middle of it, we're just human and we'll have the exact same thoughts. But the enemy is coming, but the power is limited. And I love the promise again from Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you while you only need to keep silent and remain calm. It's not about our fight in us. It's about us being obedient and allowing God to fight and be the champion for us. One of my favorite scenes in any movie, Don't Judge Me, is from the original Lion King, not the new cool one, the, the old cartoon one. Anybody love the old cartoon Lion King? It's legit. Okay, so one of my favorite scenes, still today, I love it. It's when little Simba at the beginning of the movie and little Nala are running through the elephant graveyard. Remember this scene? The hyenas are chasing them. If you haven't seen the movie in a long time, go, go back and rewatch it. So Simba and Nala are running and finally the hyenas have cornered them and their backs are up against a wall and it looks like they're about to get eaten. And all of a sudden Simba kind of gets cocky as a little baby cub and he like lets out this roar and it sounds like a little kitten whimpering. Remember that? He's like, rawr, kind of thing. And then the hyenas are laughing at Simba and they're like, oh, ooh, you scare us kind of thing. And then Simba gets mad and then he rears back again. You know, the, you know that part. He rears back again. He's like, ah, and then he roars and it's this loud, booming, adult, male lion roar, and it even shocks Simba. It shocks the hyenas, it shocks Simba, and he's like, what in the world, thinking it's him? And then he looks above him, and who is it? It's Mufasa, his father. It was his father's roar, roaring through his roar that changed the dynamic. And I love that because I feel like it's a perfect image of this point that I'm making. It is God, our Father, who comes in and roars on our behalf. Our roar does nothing, but the power of God in us, our Father standing at our back, is everything, and he commits to fighting on our behalf. The third trial in the story is the battle within them, the battle within the Israelites. We all have a battle within us, too. There's a battle in front of us. We have a Red Sea. There's also the pull from our past. It might be the pull of temptation, like I said, or it could be the weight of guilt from the past. But something's chasing us. But then there's also this battle within. In light of all of these trials, the battle within. Exodus 14, 10 through 12, again says, they were terrified, the Israelites, and cried out to the Lord. This is the crazy part. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt? Listen to this sarcasm. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Can you imagine? Have you ever been like a coach, a leader, a manager, and they're just really ungrateful people? And, they're, and, and you're standing there and you're just like, after, I mean, or, or a parent. Okay, so 
You're like, after everything I've done for you, that's, can you imagine what Moses was feeling? Like he was looking at them going, man, just go back then. Just go back, but he doesn't. Bringing us out of Egypt, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us remain slaves to the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. I've been a pastor now this month for 17 years, full-time pastor here, and I've had a lot, a lot of meetings with people. I was a youth and young adult pastor for, I believe, nine of those years, and I have watched a whole lot of people reach this critical point in their lives where the Red Sea is in front of them, the mountains are on either side, Egypt, the past is pulling on them, and I've sat down with teenagers, I've sat down with young adults and adults over the last few years, and I've said, please, just stand firm for a moment. Don't do this. Do not go back. It is not better. You are not better off back in slavery. I know freedom is not in this moment what you thought it was gonna look like, but in a few months from now, a few years from now, you will look back on this moment and you will see the goodness and the glory of God. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to the relationship. Don't go back to the lifestyle. Don't go back on God. Don't quit on this. Don't quit on the thing you shouldn't quit on. Don't start the thing you should start. Don't go back. But I've seen people over and over and over again. Look at logic. Look at scripture. Look at what God says. And still in that moment, they've allowed the pull of Egypt to be so strong they look into the promise of what God has for them in the future, and instead of trusting him with the Red Sea in front of them, they begin to drift and turn back into Egypt. And I've seen where many people's lives have gone, and there's brokenness and, and so much pain in people's lives. Let me tell you something. Egypt is not, is not as good as the desert, and it's nothing compared to the promised land. Your past, although comfortable and familiar, is built to enslave and entrap you to where you cannot move forward into the promise that God has. The truth is this, the only power Egypt had over the Israelites, the only power Egypt had, remember God put a barrier. Egypt couldn't get to Israel and Israel couldn't get to Egypt. The only power Egypt had would be if the Israelites chose to turn back and immediately go. We're grateful we don't see in scripture any that do that, but it's the same for us today. The only power your past truly has over you, your past has power, but the only power it has over you is if you choose to go back to it. It's a choice to be made. It's a choice to be made. It's not who you really are. It's not any of that stuff. Your identity is in the promised land. It is not in Egypt. It's only power is if we, allow it, if we allow it to have power and to go back. Satan is an accuser, he is the prosecutor, but he is not the judge. He will try to put guilt on you from your past, he will try to put weight on you and try to make you think your past is gonna catch up with you. All of these things are gonna come after you. God really didn't forgive you. The destiny that God has, someone like you could never have that. Those people don't know the real you and the weight that Satan is putting on us. He is a prosecutor and he is an accuser, but he is not the judge. There is only one judge and that judge, if we are in Christ, has already said, the gavel has already slammed and you have been proclaimed innocent. That's the truth. 
We can't go back. And then the truth for this final trial is this. If we stand firm, we will see the salvation of the Lord. If we stand firm and don't go back, we will see the salvation of the Lord. What's interesting about the story is they needed to be saved. The word salvation is, is exactly that, just to be saved. They needed to be saved from their circumstances. They needed to get through the Red Sea or they were go either going to be recaptured or die. This story, like I mentioned, is a perfect foreshadowing, perfect theological foreshadowing for the cross and salvation as we see it in the New Testament through Jesus. And the truth is this, that when we look at Moses in this story, we see a picture of Jesus. We see a foreshadowing of the story of the cross and what happens when someone comes to know Jesus. In light of that foreshadowing and me telling you that, I wanna read some of this story from Exodus and I want us to look at the parallels because we have to understand this, that if God in our lives, if Jesus was sent to bring us salvation from the greatest enemy, death, salvation from the greatest Red Sea in front of us, death, if he's come to bring us salvation where we can live eternally and all of our sins can be forgiven, if he's done the greatest miracle of all, he can do the miracle that we need practically in front of us. Exodus 14, 16 says, this is God talking to Moses, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Skipping down, Exodus 14, 21 through 22, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Skipping down, verse 27 to 29. And at dawn, the sea returned to its place. The Egyptians tried to run from it, but the Lord swept them away into the sea. The water returned, covering the chariots, chariot drivers, and all the king's army that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. That's important, not one of them survived. But the Israelites crossed the sea on dry land and a wall of water on their right and on their left. This is a perfect picture of salvation. Because in every story, in the entire Bible. Every story in the New Testament that comes before the cross, chronologically, points to the cross. Every story in the Bible is about Jesus. Every story is about salvation. Every story is about the need for salvation and eternity beyond this life. I want you to think about this. In the same way, in the same way God had Moses go up on a hill, and on that hill had Moses raise his wooden staff on this hill. And when he raises this wooden staff, it enables the people of God to do something they couldn't do on their own, escape the bondage of slavery and death in Egypt. And when, as he's raising the wooden staff on the hill, doing something they could not do for themselves, the escape from Egypt, it also provides the path forward through the waters of the Red Sea into ultimate freedom through the wilderness into the promised land. In the exact same way in the New Testament, Jesus was raised by God on a wooden cross on a hill to provide a way out of the bondage of slavery and death from our Egypt, our past, our condemnation, 
our separation from God to do something we could not do on our own. He did the work on our behalf so that when we escape from our sin and death from our past through salvation in Jesus Christ on the cross, he provides a path through the waters of baptism into the family of God and the declaration to the world that we are renewed in Jesus Christ across the wilderness and into ultimate freedom into the promised land. It's the exact same story. And if it's true for them, it's true for us. There are people in this room that we're talking about the practical Red Sea in front of you. But also, I wanna challenge you, I know there's people in the room where this practical Red Sea in front of you is nothing compared to the Red Sea in front of you if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because everything in the Bible points to the greatest miracle of all, that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that we could not live, to die a death and be the sacrifice we could not be on our own. And all we would have to do, just as Moses was stretching out the wooden staff, is look to the hill Jesus raised up on the wooden cross and say, that is our champion. That's my Lord and Savior. And salvation comes. Salvation comes. I, I said a second ago that it was important to note that every Egyptian died, not one survived, not one. Why is that important and why does that parallel with salvation? Because you might hear the accusation from the enemy from your past, but that sin is dead. In the eyes of God, it is gone. The power of what Jesus did on the cross is our sin died with him. My sin was nailed to that cross and it died. And because Jesus came out of the grave, that is the sign of ultimate victory, that that sin can stay in Egypt, it can stay dead, and it can be long gone. It's dead, it's gone. Every Egyptian died through the waters of salvation. And it's the same way for us. So today I wanna end my message today by giving you an opportunity to be prayed for, two groups of people. One, I know, I know some of your stories. I know there are people in this room where you are actually facing what you would consider life and death situations. A new diagnosis, something going on that has brought a lot of pain to you, your family. There's anxiety and nervousness with it. It's keeping you up at night. There's financial stress. There's marital stress. Stress with our families. We're looking into this year and we're wanting to be optimistic. But there's just something that has brought a heaviness and a burden to my life and my home, and I need God to intervene. The good news is he's the same God. The same God that parted the Red Sea can part your Red Sea. The same God that inter intervened back then is the same God that can intervene today. And we're gonna believe with you as your church family for your miracle in that, and we're also gonna pray for our second group, those of you that were looking at this saying, I, yes, I might need a miracle in front of me, but I need to experience the greatest miracle of all. I need to fully commit my life to Jesus Christ. I need to look to that hill and what Jesus did for me and finally say, I'm done, I'm done, and I want I want forgiveness of sin. I wanna turn around. That's what repentance means, just turn around. Stop facing my sin and face Jesus. It doesn't mean that you'll be perfect, but it means his grace will be there to pick you up when I fully submit my life to Christ and declare that he is Lord. Believe he's alive and wants relationship with me. The Bible says I will be saved. My home in heaven is secure and my life now has meaning. 
and the most firm of foundations imaginable while we live. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna start off by asking those of you in the room that you're saying, I, I, I need to commit my life to Christ today. It's time. I know it's the beginning of a new year, but I should have done this long ago. Maybe you're someone that has raised your hand or something in the past, or maybe quoted a prayer, but there was never a full surrender of spirit and soul and mind and really giving your whole life to Jesus, then I think this is your moment. You're not being saved twice, but this is the moment of serious commitment to Jesus. And that's what it is. It's giving our whole self to Jesus and saying, everything I have is yours. I'm done. I'm done with this life that I've been living and it's, it's yours. And then also the second group, and we'll pray for in a moment. But if you're in that first group and you would like me to include you in this final prayer today, just by a showing of hands, how many of you would say, I would like to fully commit my life to Christ. This is the day, it's my day, and I, I'm ready today. On the count of three, just do that right where you're at. One, two, three, right where you're at. Thank you, I see you up there, thank you guys. And yet, thank you, over here, thank you guys. Thank you, I see you right back here. Awesome. Now, if you're also in the room and that second group, and you would just, you're, there's a red sea in front of you, and it's big, and you're just saying, I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say it, there's no shame here, because so many people in this room are going through something. You're just saying, I, I'm, at, I'm at my wit's end, I'm, I'm feeling this dead end, I'm feeling this red sea in front of me, and I need God to intervene. How many of you are going through a situation like that? Just raise your hand right where you're at right now. A lot of hands, a lot. You can put it right back down. What we're gonna believe for is an outright miracle. We're gonna believe, he's the miracle worker. He was back then and he is today. We're gonna believe for a miracle in your life today in that second group. I'm gonna pray for both groups at the same time and join in with me as we pray. If you raised your hand for salvation today, make this prayer your own. It's not my words, it is your declaration from your heart that saves you through what Jesus did on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. And God, I pray for every person here, those of us that raised our hand and said, we wanna commit our lives to you, Jesus. God, you see our hearts more importantly than our hands. And we say, today is the day I wanna give my whole self to you. Spirit, mind, and soul, Jesus, it's yours. I wanna commit my life to you. I believe what you did on the cross was for me. I believe that you didn't stay dead, you are alive. And I am declaring today, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, it's time. I'm done living in Egypt. I want to move forward into the promise that you have for me. I want a home in heaven. Today, I am inviting you into my life. Come in. And God, we also pray for every person today that needs a miracle. There are desperate situations that need a miracle today. And God, you gave us permission with confidence in scripture to declare boldly in the name of Jesus to believe for mighty miracles today that relationships can be restored and finances can be restored, bodies can be mended, that diagnoses can change. God, I pray, that against, I pray against cancer today. I pray against things today that have gone undiagnosed. God, I pray today that questions would be answered by doctors, that we could understand things, whatever the situations are that people are going through in this room, we declare it, we believe it, we know you reign above it, we believe you are good, we know you are good, even in the midst of what is bad, you are good, and we are saying today is the day this circumstance bows down to your greatness and your power. God, we thank you for today, give us strength and faith going into this new year, we pray these things, and in Jesus' name, amen, amen.